Well, good morning. As I mentioned to you before Mass, we are uh, in a teaching that is helping us learn more about the Mass. The, the teaching, Behold the Lamb of God, is designed to help us learn more not only about the Mass, but uh, the biblical roots of the Mass, helping us understand why is it that we do what we do. And uh, for many of us who have ever had questions about the Mass or uh, still look at some of the things in the Mass, maybe even some of the words like behold the lamb itself, and it doesn't necessarily make sense. It's most likely because those things have Jewish roots, and when we understand our Jewish roots, our, our Jewish heritage, then we have a great appreciation and knowledge of why we do what we do. So we're going to jump right in today, and I want to invite you to join me in a Bible study this morning on page 8. So that's where we're going to start, page 8. We're going to quickly review the first three weeks so that we can savor all that God has for us today on this fourth Sunday. On page eight, you'll pick it up. Uh, where have we been the first two weeks? What we did is we first started with uh, asking the question about worship and asked, who is it that determines how we worship? Is it us or God? We said God does that. We saw that in the Old Testament. First time God ever spoke to people. He spoke to them about two things how to live and how to worship. And notice, as we looked at the Old Testament, that it could, took God twice as much time to teach them how to worship than it did to teach them how to live. And as we continued to ask questions, we said, well, how is it that God wants us to worship Him? And all of week two was about sacrifice, us appreciating what sacrifice is, right? It's an offering to God to make holy. And then what we did is we said, well, what do you need for sacrifice? And if you join me in the bulletin, we'll take a look at what we need for sacrifice. That's number three. And just to remind you, I'm not going to use all the notes. I'll kind of skip around. I'll let you know when I'm quoting something. This is just to make it easier for you if you would take this home and read it later on for future reference. But number three, you need four things for sacrifice. You need something to offer. You need a priest, someone to offer the sacrifice. You need an altar. And you need to consume the sacrifice. As we continue to learn more about sacrifice, that took us in the last week, which for many of us was an eye-opening experience. Some light bulbs went off in a lot of our hearts, right? Last week as we learned about the Passover, which is kind of like the, the preeminent sacrifice of the entire Old Testament. And, and we asked the question about this blood that they put on the doorpost of the house, and the Spirit of God passed over the houses with the blood. Why blood? Why not just a, a sign? Why not some cool Hebrew inscription or, or something like that? Why blood? Well, they used blood because they, they were offering sacrifice, right? The first thing they did is they worshiped God. It's almost like God saying, hey, if we're leaving Egypt, you're going to worship me and me alone. They had been worshiping the Egyptian gods because they were there for 400 years. And God said, hey, if we're leaving Egypt, leave the Egyptian gods in Egypt. That's why they had the blood, right? Because they were offering sacrifice to God as they were praying to him, worshiping him. Now, the sacrifice of those lambs was also connected to a meal. We saw that in number 8 and number um, 7. As, as we take a look at all that is there, it's not just a, a meal, Right? It's an important meal, one that's going to be memorialized forever. And yet last week we talked about what is memorial, number nine. 
A memorial makes present in the present moment an event that happened in the past. I sang the LSU alma mater last week, and I said, hey, man, when I was a kid, we were at those games, and every time I sing the LSU alma mater now, it brings me back to being five years old, holding my daddy's finger in Tiger Stadium, right? That was an example of memorial. It makes present in the present moment that what happened in the past. Now, this Passover meal, this Passover experience, because it was memorial, because it was really important to God, they just did it every year. Shared with you last week that 12 months after the first Passover, right? The 12 months after Exodus chapter um, 12, as they were wandering through the desert, 12 months later, on that anniversary of Passover, they ate the meal all over again. Right? So they sacrificed the lambs and they ate the roasted flesh and they had the unleavened bread. And when they did that, 12 months later, it was for them an experience of actually going back in time and leaving Egypt all over again. And they did this every year. Every year they they would memorialize Passover every year. They would sacrifice the lambs every year. They would eat the meal every year. It would bring them back and they would leave Egypt all over again. So this Passover meal developed. The Passover experience developed. And that's what we want to look at today in our Bible study. How is it that Passover kind of developed? Page 9 is where we're going. We're going to go to the top of page 9 because there's four keys that are going to help us understand the Passover at the time of Jesus. And lots of this now, we're going to make some explicit connections to the, to the Mass today and to our Catholic experience. Top of page 9, four keys to help us understand the Passover at the time of Jesus. And the first is how the Passover developed. The Passover meal develops over time. Say that with me. The Passover meal develops over time. And there's two primary ways that this meal develops. The first is that it becomes kind of structured around four cups of wine. And the second is that it becomes um, uh, the, the blessing of the bread and the wine comes into fruition. So let's first start about these four cups of wine. Now, in Jewish culture, drinking wine was a sign of covenant. Drinking wine was a sign of, of relationship. So, for example, when Mary and Joseph were betrothed, they would have, had a, they would have been outside their house. There would have been a, a canopy over them, which was a symbol of a new house. And uh, after the, the rabbi would have pronounced some ancient Hebrew custom, they would have, drink, they would have uh, each drank a little bit of wine. And when you drank wine, it was a sign of covenant. Did the same thing at the, the final marriage thing. So wine was not just something you had at a dinner party. Wine in the Jewish culture was a sign of covenant, formal relationship. And as Passover developed year after year, what developed was the meal itself was very ordered. It was structured. I don't know if any of you have ever been to a Seder meal. The word Seder means order. So this meal was very formal. It was very, it was scripted. And the father of the family memorized a script, and he would lead the family 
through the Passover meal around four cups of wine. Just to kind of, just for kicks, let's take a look at those cups real quick, right? We're going to check those out in 11.2. That's on page 9. Right, so the first cup was called the cup of sanctification. Y'all remember from the second week of our conversation when we talked about making something holy, it set it apart. That's what this cup of wine did. When they drank this cup of wine, everybody at the table would have had a little wine. It was a signal, okay, this just is not a dinner party. This meal now is set apart from the other meals, and it's holy. That's what that first cup of wine would have done. The second cup of wine, right, the cup of proclamation, what were they proclaiming? That would have been at the end of the Father reminding them of what? Exodus chapter 12. The story of them leaving Egypt. So the second cup of wine would have been after they told the story of Egypt. There's a third cup. That's the cup of blessing. And that would have been the one that Jesus would have said, hey, I'm changing the script here. We'll get into that next week. Um, but that's the third cup. And then Jesus leaves the Last Supper. He does not drink of the fourth cup. And the Passover, there was the cup of consummation or the cup of praise. And it, it signaled that the meal is over. It's complete. The sacrifice is complete. Jesus does not do that. When is Jesus going to drink of the fourth cup? Leaving suspense for next week. But that's going to be a significant event that connects Good Friday to Holy Thursday. So there's these four cups of wine. Now, what's really awesome, if you look at the middle of page 9, is to notice the words that were in the Passover meal itself. Now remember, this is 1,500 years before Jesus. Right, these words that are there. The Father, right, look at 12.1. He would, he would uh, hold unleavened bread, and he would say, Blessed are you, Lord God, who brings forth bread from the earth. He would take wine. He'd say, Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, who creates fruit of the vine. Sometimes when you hear things at Mass, they don't sound like the way that we speak to each other now. Like, for example, I stand behind the altar at a very key point where it is clear we're leaving conversation and we're going to a meal. And I grab bread and I, I embrace wine. And I say words that don't really make sense to us in the way that we use them. As I say, again, look at 12.3 in bold, Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received bread we offer you. I also, as I embrace the wine, blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness. Why do I say those words? Because 3,500 years ago, that's a long time, the father stood before a family and said, hey, we are now moving into a sacred meal, and that's how they blessed bread and wine. So a lot of what we do at Mass is not just rooted in Jesus 2,000 years ago. It's rooted in the customs that preceded Jesus, the way that things developed, right? It indicates to us that we're moving into a sacred meal, which, of course, as we'll learn next week, Jesus takes to a whole new level. Now, as we continue to learn more about the Passover, let's go to page 10 because things begin to really develop here.
page 10. So we know the meal developed, but the particular part of the meal was this lamb. Again, the language at Mass doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us sometimes. Not the language we use. This whole series is about the lamb. And right before communion, the most beautiful part of Mass, I lift up bread and I say, Behold the Lamb. Blessed are, are we who come to the supper of the Lamb. It's, just, it's not language we use. Why do we use that language? Well, let me tell you about these lambs that would have been used at, at the Passover at the time of Jesus, right? So look at number 13 with me, right? The Passover sacrifice is going to move to the temple. So you remember in the first reading how God saw things happening in the temple and he was like scandalized because they were offering like pagan worship and things like that. The temple, right? So they, they wander through the desert. When they get to the Holy Land, they build a temple. And the temple is built for worship. And if the temple is built for worship, that means the temple is built for sacrifice. That's what you do in the temple. It's built for sacrificing. Entire temple is all centered around this beautiful, big old altar. And what do we do on an altar? We offer sacrifice. So when they build the temple, all worship and sacrifice moves to Jerusalem. So before they built the temple, the father of the family, on Passover, he would find a lamb, he would sacrifice the lamb, they would roast the lamb and eat the lamb in your house. But when they build the temple, God's making a statement to his people about sacred places, beware you do sacred things, right? And so now all of, Jer all of Israel has to go to Jerusalem for Passover. So y'all remember when Jesus was a little boy and he gets lost in the temple? Why is he in the temple? Because they were there for Passover. Y'all remember last week when Jesus got mad and he cleansed the temple of the money changers? Why was he there? For Passover. So what happens in, at the time of Jesus as things are developing is all the lambs had to be sacrificed in Jerusalem. And they had to be sacrificed by a priest. There was a, there was a whole structure and a beautiful priesthood that was there to sacrifice those lambs. If you were a priest at the time of Jesus, at the time of Passover, every priest in the whole country reporting for duty, going to Jerusalem in the temple for these lambs. Now check this out. The lambs had to be sacrificed, had to be offered to God, and then they had to be prepared to be consumed, right? So this is what would have happened. We're going to learn in two weeks when we read the Passion on Palm Sunday and Good Friday, we're going to hear how Jesus, see, he, he, he sent Peter and John to prepare for the Passover, what would they have done? Well, they were in Jerusalem, and they would have done what every daddy would have done. Everybody needs a lamb to eat for Passover. But you have to sacrifice the lamb in the temple. Now, Jerusalem only had 80,000 people who lived in it. But for Passover, there would have been 1.25 million people there. Now, think about that. 80,000 people live there. But at the time of Passover, there's over a million people there. And everybody needs a lamb. So, this is what happens. 
the, the, the daddy, and maybe his oldest son, maybe he goes alone, maybe he brings his oldest son, they go and they get a lamb. Now the, sac the lamb has to be sacrificed, and it's got to be sacrificed in the temple. So they get the lamb, and they stand in line at the temple. And they're waiting, and they're waiting, and they're waiting. And inside the temple, all the priests are there. They're all there. Right? And there's this big altar. And all of the blood of the lamb is being poured on the altar. But the only one who pours the blood of the lamb on the altar is a priest. Right? So what's happening is uh, the father, he stands in line, and the priest brings in about 30 at a time. Now, those fathers with their lambs, they can't be on the temple, but they need to be connected to the temple. So there was around the altar, this kind of rectangular thing connected to the altar. You ready? And that's what you called an altar rail. Many of you who are older, you may have grown up in churches where they used to have an altar rail. How old is that? 3,000 years old. So what happens is that the dad, where's he? All right. So the dad would, he'd hold the lamb. Now, if you're young, close your ears, please. And if you work for PETA, talk to me after mass, right? So you would hold the lamb, and the father, with one cut, would execute the sacrifice of the lamb. And there was a priest on the other side of the altar rail, and he had a chalice. And he would catch the blood of the lamb. And that priest would pass it to another priest who would, tass, who would pass it to another priest. And they would, uh, there was like an assembly line. And they would pass the blood all the way to the altar. And then there was a priest on the altar. And he would pour that blood all over the altar. Then what would happen is once the, the lamb was sacrificed, the lamb had to be prepared to be consumed. Now, remember last week we said, hey, God said, when you eat that lamb, don't boil it because the Egyptians who used to eat lambs and sacrifice, they would boil their lambs. God says, I want the lamb to be roasted. Now, if you're going to eat a lamb, think about where the meat is. How do you do that? How do you roast a lamb? You would, you would get two pieces of wood. And one of the stays of wood would go across, like you would open up the lamb like this. And you would put a piece of wood like behind the arms, and you'd open up the lamb like this. And then you would take a long piece of wood, a long stave, and you would go from the head all the way down to, to the legs. And you would tie its legs together. So when you got the lamb back, the lamb looked like this. Like this. Now, everybody needed the lamb. How many lambs? Well, we, we have historical records, and one of them points to that one year they sacrificed 250,000 lambs in a few hours. And I, I want you to get this. That's a lot of blood. Now, hold on. The temple had drains, and the blood would pour off the altar into the drains. 
and it would drain through the city out to the mountain. So Peter and John, check this out, on that day, get in line with a lamb. And they go in the temple, and they, Peter probably, right, sacrifice the lamb, and the blood of the lamb is poured on the altar. And then they, 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 they receive this crucified lamb in their arms. Now I want you to imagine John walking back to Jesus, walking back to the upper room, and they've got this crucified lamb. And as they're walking back, there's blood rolling through Jerusalem. Where's that blood going to drain? Literally, out the same side of the mountain where a new blood is going to be poured forth for the world. Imagine John standing at the cross looking at the Lamb knowing that at that time the Lamb was offered by a priest on an altar. And John knows that there's four things you need for sacrifice. You need something to offer. You need a priest to offer it. You need an altar to offer it on. And you need to consume the sacrifice. The sacrifice is not complete unless it's consumed. Now next week, as we look at next week, we're going to connect Holy Thursday to Good Friday and we're going to show you how the meal and the sacrifice are together. But for those of you who may not be with us next week, I started this whole series because there was this question about going to Mass. Should I go to Mass? And do I have to go to Mass? And why should I go to Mass? Well, because the sacrifice is not complete unless you consume the sacrifice. And because of the new lamb and a new covenant and a new sacrifice, and because of the meal that was instituted on Holy Thursday, there is now blood on an altar. And we don't need the old altar rail anymore. We don't need the old Passover meal anymore. But we do use ancient words in an awesome sacrifice and invite you to consume the sacrifice. As we pray Mass today, 
I would encourage you to perhaps pray it from a whole new space inside your heart. All the words for the rest of Mass are in the bulletin. I've highlighted the ones I want you to pay attention to. But please, God, today, we might open up our hearts. And please, God, today, we might receive the Eucharist in a whole new way. And please, God, today, we would have a new dawning inside our hearts of what we mean when we say, Behold the Lamb of God. And how blessed are those who come to the supper of the Lamb. Amen.